In this podcast, we'll be discussing the most significant workplace relations issues of the month. This will be of interest to HR professionals and others trying to keep up to date with the many policy changes and debates and the latest commission and court decisions impacting on their workplace. The full members-only report is available on our website at aigroup.com.au in the policy section under Workplace Relations Policy and Advocacy. And to discuss the key aspects of this March report, I'm speaking with Stephen Smith, Head of National Workplace Relations at AI Group, and I'm Tony Melville, Head of AI Group's Communications Division. Now, we're going to just discuss four of the um, numerous uh, issues that are coming up in this month's report. We'll have a look at the living wage, the wage theft issues, the ACT rallies to come, and sexual harassment, uh, some of the latest activity there. So uh, first of all, in this month's brief, uh, there's the annual wage review, but the wage review this month, first of all, what is our group proposing? But it's also being dominated by this ACTU and Labor-supported plan for a living wage. Can you give us some background on that? Uh, yes. Well, with the annual wage review, that's going on at the moment. Uh, the Commission has received initial submissions. Uh, we have uh, suggested a, a 2% Minimum wage increase uh, is appropriate in the current environment. The ACTU is pushing for a 6% wage increase, which uh, we believe is, of of course, far too high in an environment where uh, inflation is 1.8%. The case uh, will conclude with a decision in early June with whatever the wage increase uh, that's awarded, uh, it, it'll be uh, operative from uh, 1 July. Now, the, the debate... That applies to all categories above that, of course, as well. Yeah, so it applies to the uh, national minimum wage and uh, typically all award rates, so it's very likely that will be the decision this year as well. With the uh, the living wage policy that the federal ALP has announced, there's been a lot of debate about this. The Labor Party has said that they want, uh, if they are elected, to uh, ask the Commission to uh, hand down a living wage. And uh, there's no detail about, about that other than the fact that uh, Labor intends, if it wins government to amend the Fair Work Act to require the Commission to give a, a lot more weight to the needs of low-paid uh, workers and to ensure that no uh, worker need uh, live in poverty, as they're saying. So could the living wage be uh, quarantined just to the lowest paid? What's the impact of that? Well, the, the problem with this is, of course, the Commission does give great weight to the needs of the low paid. The, you know, the last two years, we've seen a 3.5% wage increase last year and a 3.3% wage increase the year before in an environment where that is you know, much higher than, than inflation. Uh, but you know, the, the problem with uh, this idea of a living wage is it typically is discussed in the context of this ACTU position of moving the minimum wage up to a level of 60% of median full-time earnings. Now, median full-time earnings at the moment are about 1330 a week. So if you move it up to 60%, the minimum wage of $719, 
would move up to nearly $800. Um, you have $798. Um, that large increase would, uh, you know, more than likely, uh, it would flow on to award rates and it would push the minimum wage up to a level that would knock out the bottom four levels of the classification structure in many awards, you know, for like the manufacturing award, for example. So that will then have uh, potentially someone who's completely unskilled being paid more than an apprentice, being paid more than the bottom level of a, of a, of a manufacturing worker and that type of thing. Well, those that are familiar with the C levels in the manufacturing award would, uh, would know that a C10 is a base trade uh, rate and C14 is the lowest rate in the award that aligns with the minimum wage. So if the minimum wage goes from the current uh, $719.20 up to $798, that rate is higher than the C11 rate. So effectively, that new rate would uh, presumably be the rate for four levels. So you'd have a situation where the, the rate for a completely unskilled worker is only just a little bit behind the rate for a qualified tradesperson. Now, where would the incentive be for someone to do an apprentice apprenticeship if, if that was the outcome? Okay. So the second issue in the significant issues brief this month that we're going to focus on is wage theft, which is which is another one emanating out of the ACTU, uh, crim criminalising underpayments. So what's the issue there and how are we dealing with it? Well, the first thing about this is the term wage theft. It's a, a term that the unions have uh, uh, adopted and pressed. It really is about underpayments and we have very tough laws for those who uh, underpay employees. You know, those penalties increased uh, very significantly only a year or so ago. It's 10 um, times or something, it, wasn't it? Yeah, 10 times for some of the penalties, 20 times for others. Um, and the idea of amending criminal law to criminalise wage theft, yeah, we, we believe is, uh, is not necessary um, and... Um, you know, we, we have these tough penalties that are, are only now starting to flow through the courts given the delays that occur with uh, bringing matters to courts and, and, and that is a sufficient deterrent. Okay. So is there something special that companies should be doing if, they, if they're alert to an inadvertent underpayment? Uh, yes. Well, if uh, underpayments... Uh, are identified, then of course they should be corrected as uh, as soon as uh, possible. Yeah, and often uh, dealing with the union as well concerned, and they they all appreciate a company making those actions and working with the union to in a unionised workplace to ensure that uh, things are fixed and back payments are made, etc. Yes, and if you think about this issue. Um, you know, a, a law firm that's very closely aligned with the union movement is Morris Blackburn and uh, the unions uh, identified that they had underpaid their staff by a uh, million dollars or so and uh, that was uh, made good. Um, the ABC uh, was uh, recently um, uh, found and agreed that it had underpaid staff. So often these errors are made and, uh, you know, when an error is made... Uh, you know, it, it should obviously be correct. And fixed and back paid. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it is a difficult issue for a lot of companies because they, when they do come up, they, you know, could end up, if this, hap if this situation 
turned into a criminal case, so a wage theft if the law was changed. Um, but how would that then do with a worker who wanted to take it through the commission, who wanted to maybe get their back pay through those sort of existing means? Is it Does it put that on hold or something? Well, this is one of the major flaws with the idea of using criminal law to deal with underpayments. You know, if, if a company director or manager is subject to a criminal action for uh, underpaying someone, then just from a, a natural justice point of view, what is highly likely to happen is that any civil case about the the, the back pay will be put on hold while the criminal case uh, took place. And that criminal case may go on for a couple of years. So it's not going to deliver back pay to the employee. Well, we have civil laws for that and civil laws uh, should remain. No, this doesn't belong in criminal law. Right. So the third issue, and it's a bit of an ACTU focus uh, this month, you know, the planned ACTU rallies on the 10th of April, and that's the second big round of them. There were big ones in Victoria, less so in New South Wales and in other states. But are these rallies unlawful? Well, anyone is free to protest in a democratic society, of course. But the thing is that if people stop work uh, and attend uh, a rally, an industrial rally like this, then that is unlawful industrial action. Uh, you know, that would be contrasted, of course, from a situation where an employee might apply for leave to go and attend a rally or do it on the, the weekend. Uh, that's clearly lawful. But if someone stops work, doesn't have the permission of the employer, then that is unlawful industrial action. And uh, the, the employees doing that would be exposed to uh, actions for breaching the uh, the law. Okay. So um, what do you advise then employers to do? Should they be messaging their staff and saying, you know, if you're off on this day, then you need to apply for leave or are there some technical things they need to do? Well, every employer needs to um, decide how to deal with this issue in their own workplace. I mean, the vast majority of workplaces, of course, uh, are not impacted at all by this. Uh, the, the last round of rallies, yes, there was a, um, a pretty big turnout in Melbourne, but small turnouts in the other states. And, uh, you know, most workplaces aren't unionised. So in non-unionised workplaces, it's not likely not that problem, there, yeah. there will be an issue. In, in unionised workplaces, uh, companies need to decide the best way of handling it. But... Uh, employees need to be aware that if they uh, attend these rallies by not attending for work when they uh, are required to, then that is uh, industrial action. Right. I imagine the construction sector might see that that's quite unionised. You'd see some of the big sites would shut down, wouldn't they? Yes, and the ABCC... Um, typically ahead of these rallies circulates information to the industry making it clear to employers and employees what their uh, legal obligations are. Okay now the final issue we'll look at in this month's significant issues paper is the lodgement that we've made of a submission to the Australian Human Rights Commission to its national inquiry into sexual harassment in Australian workplaces. So what does our submission argue? There's lots of uh, useful 
content in the submission, uh, you know, calling for the Human Rights Commission to develop uh, best practice examples for companies on how to deal with uh, instances of sexual harassment in their workplaces and you know, more education and so on. But the submission also seeks some legislative changes. You know, one of the areas uh, relates to unfair dismissal laws. When you look at unfair dismissal decisions, there's a lot of inconsistency in the way that the Commission has dealt with situations where people have been terminated uh, due to serious instances of sexual harassment. You know, employers are rightly expected to treat uh, instances like that in a serious way. You know, after a, an investigation, a number of employers have terminated the employment of people that uh, have uh, been guilty of serious sexual harassment only to find that the Commission has come along and reinstated or uh, awarded compensation, which sends absolutely the wrong message uh, about this issue to, uh, to everyone. So what we are saying is the definition of serious misconduct in the Act should be uh, amended and uh, you know, serious instances of sexual harassment should fall within the definition of serious misconduct, which is in a, a regulation that hangs off the Fair Work Act. Is the Commission sympathetic to this concept, do you think? Uh, because they're tied now, I guess, by their current laws? Well, some members of the Commission have upheld uh, decisions um, by employers to terminate particular employees, but, but others haven't, and, and other matters have gone on to appeal and the original decision has been overturned. There's a number of cases mentioned in our submission which highlight this inconsistency. Okay, well, that's well worth reading. So that's all for now from Stephen Smith, Head of National Workplace Relations at AI Group. And a reminder, the full members-only Significant Issues Brief is available on the website at aigroup.com.au in the policy section under Workplace Relations Policy and Advocacy. See you next time. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.